growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. You know, we love the idea of Jesus, you know, and His teaching about love and peace and happiness and hope and doing unto others as you would have them do unto you and feeding the poor and clothing the naked and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes people struggle with the part of Jesus' teaching where He talks about the holiness and the justice and the judgment of God. Have you ever asked someone a question that you wish you hadn't asked because the answer was hard to hear or not what you were expecting? Well, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus' disciples asked Jesus some questions regarding the end times and what Jesus told them must have been extremely hard to hear because part of what Jesus had to tell them revealed that hard times were in store for the people of Israel. The description that Jesus gives describes a terrible, terrible time that will come upon the world during that time, that will come upon the people of the world. It's, it's not going to be pleasant. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. We're continuing our series today entitled 2012, The Days After Tomorrow, based on Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapters 24 and 25. There is a lot of uncertainty in the world today, and you're probably aware that there are all kinds of speculations as to whether the end of the world is coming soon. As we've already discovered in the series, Jesus isn't holding anything back, and some of what he has to say is hard to hear because he tells about the events that will transpire during the Great Tribulation period. And as you're going to hear Pastor Clay say, it's not like any time the world has ever seen before. We're glad you joined us today. Now here's this week's message. I want to lead you to the cross. Pretty scary stuff. It's pretty scary times in which we live. I've said this uh, on a number of occasions here, it seems like, lately. But uh, the world, it appears to me, is more uh, nervous uh, than than I can remember, certainly in my lifetime, about what's going on in the direction that it is headed. We are in the middle of this study entitled, The Days After Tomorrow, based on Jesus' teaching about what will happen at the end of time. As time draws to a close, and time is drawing to a close, ladies and gentlemen, you do understand that, don't you? The curtain is coming down all this. God does have a plan that he's had from the very foundation of the world. Doing a series on Jesus' teaching on the end times. Jesus gives this teaching in the very last week before he goes to the cross. In the very last week before he is crucified. He gives this teaching in response to his disciples coming to him when they sat down on the Mount of Olives. If you're with us, you know we walked through all that. As he sat down on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him and they asked him a series of questions concerning the end of time and the nation of Israel and when all these things would transpire. Out of that, Jesus gives us what we call today the Olivet Discourse, the, the, uh, the teaching time on the Mount of Olives. It is um, a time that is, um, is sometimes hard for people to take in or to comprehend. There's parts of it that, um, that don't necessarily sound so pleasant, and in fact, they are not. But in Matthew chapters 24 and 25, Jesus walks through these events of the end times. Now, uh, if you were with us earlier 
in the series, we dealt with those questions that Jesus' disciples asked in the earlier part of Matthew chapter 24, and the, the teaching that, that came out of that that Jesus gave them about signs that, that people could look for that would at least indicate that we were moving towards the end. We talked about all those things, that there's always been earthquakes, there's always been famines. We walked through that, so you might want to go back and listen to those messages. But Jesus seems to indicate that, those, that some of those things, or at least an, an increase of the awareness of those things, in the, would, be, would be an indication that we are moving towards the end times. That was in the earlier part of Matthew 24. By the way, I, I am in agreement with the Bible teacher Warren Wearsby, who says that Matthew chapter 24 breaks down this way. Matthew chapter 24 uh, verses 1 through 14 is the beginning of the Great Tribulation period. Really, 4 through 14. 1 through 3, they ask the questions. But um, 1 through 14, the beginning of Tribulation. 24, 15 through 28, the middle of the Great Tribulation period. And then 24, 29 through 51 deals with the end of the Great Tribulation period. Today, we move into the middle part of the teaching in Matthew 24 of, about the Great Tribulation period. As I said a moment ago, some of it is hard to hear because the description that Jesus gives describes a, a terrible, terrible time that will come upon the world during that time, that will come upon the, the people of the world. It's, it's not going to be pleasant, and we'll talk some about it this morning. And so, even though it is perhaps uh, hard to hear, it's not hard to understand. In other words, Jesus doesn't, he's pretty straightforward in his teaching about this. He's pretty straightforward in talking about these events that are going to transpire and, and what's going to happen and, and, and that sort of thing. He doesn't really uh, beat around the bush about it. And it's hard for some people to hear that, you know, because there's some people that you know, we, we, we love the idea of Jesus, you know, and his teaching about love and peace and, and happiness and hope and, and doing unto others as you would have them do unto you and feeding the poor and, and uh, clothing the naked and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we, we love that kind of stuff, right? All, all of us do. But sometimes people struggle with the part of Jesus' teaching where he talks about the, the, the holiness and the justice and the judgment of God. And I think part of that is because uh, sometimes people like to think of God as, as kind of this, um, this heavenly grandfather image, you know, that just kind of overlooks our, our uh, imperfections, that kind of uh, just, uh, oh, well, don't worry about that kind of image of God. And one of the things that the teaching in Matthew 24 does for us is that it reminds us that, yes, God is a God of, of love and mercy and forgiveness, but He is also a God of holiness and justice and judgment. That's who He is. And you can't take the one part of God because you think, well, I, that, that, that God, that's safe. I, I like that. I'm, I'm okay with that. You, it, it doesn't work that way. You can't take God like that, you take him in in his totality of who he is, as both all loving and all holy. Now, before I get to the text, I really feel like I need to uh, deal with three questions that I hope 
will kind of help you understand this teaching on what is described here as the great tribulation period. Now, some of you have heard me say that before. Uh, you've heard me talk about these things earlier in this study, and, and especially when we walked through the book of Revelation in, in 2010, if you happen to be here uh, then. But I, I hope this will kind of help you maybe kind of get a grasp on this. But uh, like I said, I know some of you have heard me say this, but the great tribulation period is a period of time that will last seven years, and it will be, and we'll get to some of this in a minute, but it, it will be the last seven years on this earth before Jesus Christ returns bodily to establish his kingdom on earth. It will be the last seven years on this earth. Before we get to his teaching on some of that in the middle part of the great tribulation period, like I said, I think I need to answer uh, three questions that I hope will help you kind of get a handle on some of this, especially for those of you that it may be new for you. The first question is the who question. Who is it that that Jesus is speaking to and or who is it that Jesus is speaking about? If you happen like to take notes, by the way, there's an outline on the back of your, your uh, information sheet that you can do that. Um, but the answer is the Jewish people or Israel. He's very specific about it, and we'll see it in the text in a few moments. He's very specific about the fact that this is addressed to the people of Israel, the Jewish people. Those are the people that he is addressing. Um, the, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, were a people that God particularly called out. The phrase sometimes is used that they are God's chosen people. What do we mean when we say they're God's chosen people? I, I don't have time to deal with this to a, a large degree, but let me, let me break it down this way. Um, God started with a man named Abram. He took a, a man named Abram, whose name meant high father or exalted father. And God said to Abram, he said, I'm going to make a great nation of you. God entered into what we call a, a covenant commitment with Abram. He said, I'm going to make a great nation of you, and I'm going to use you and, you and your descendants that will make this great nation to bless the entire world. God changed Abram's name, as some of you know, to Abraham, which means father of a multitude or father of many. From Abraham came Isaac. From Isaac came Jacob, whose name God called, changed to Israel. Jacob, or Israel, had 12 sons. Those 12 sons made up the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. That was the beginning of the Jewish nation. And Jesus is very specific here in Matthew chapter 24 that he is speaking to the nation of Israel and events that will transpire during uh, these end times. The Jewish nation has at times rebelled against God. They rejected God's son, Jesus Christ, when he came as a nation. But here's the great news, folks. God is faithful even when we are not. It's a good thing for us to remember. God is faithful even when we are not. And God still has plans for the nation of Israel. And you'll see those as they unfold. So the who question is the Jewish people or Israel. The second question is when. When will these things occur? I've already made mention of it and we'll come back to it later. But the answer is the middle of the great tribulation period. The things that Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 24, 15 through 28, take place during the middle of the great tribulation period. Remember, it's that time, that the great tribulation period is a time that lasts seven years. In the middle of that, Jesus is going to mention in a moment, an event occurs that, that 
begins a chain reaction, if you will, that begins the events that, that will transpire in the last half of the Great Tribulation period. The third question is why? Why? In other words, what is the purpose of the Great Tribulation period? Why, why, why do we even have to have all of this? Well, there, there are two parts to the answer to that question. The first part is to prepare Israel. As I said, uh, the nation of Israel is God's chosen people in the sense that God, God picked them to use them as a nation that he would use to bless the world and impact the world and, and send his son through and send his written word through and, and, and all of those kinds of things. But listen to me. You don't get a free pass just because you're Jewish, if you happen to be Jewish. A person of Jewish descent must come to God the same way every single one of us must come to God, and that is through a personal relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ, believing by faith that His atoning sacrifice made it possible for me to be adopted into the family of God. You with me? Even if you're not, say you are, it'll make me feel better. I feel like I'm losing some of you right here. What did I just say? Oh yeah, to prepare Israel. I lost myself. (laughs) To prepare Israel for... uh, accepting Jesus as Messiah. They still have to come through a time of recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah. And God will use the great tribulation period to do that in their lives, to bring them to a place of recognition, hey, he really is who he said he was. He really is the Messiah. And they're going to, many of them are going to come into relationship with God as a result of this great tribulation period. By the way, that's not that unusual a thing. It's not a stretch, is it? Many people, I know many people who have come into a relationship with God because of some deep crisis that came into their life, because they came to some place in their life where they were at the absolute end of themselves and they were willing to, to look up and hear God speak to them. God will use the great tribulation period to prepare Israel, the, the nation, the, the individuals who make up that nation who will accept him to come into this relationship with him. So part of the purpose is to prepare Israel. The second part, and that runs right along with it, is to pour out God's wrath. And again, this is the part a lot of times that people don't like to talk about or look at or believe. Because again, yeah, oh God, love, yes, grace, yes, mercy, yes, peace, forgiveness, all the, yes, all those things. But wrath? Yes, yes. Because he's a God of holiness and justice and judgment as well. And the Bible is very clear, ladies and gentlemen, that the wages or the cost of sin is death. Physical and spiritual separation from God for all of eternity. There is a judgment coming. Now, I know that kind of in-your-face kind of talk is probably not going to help me, you know, build some great church and pour people in the door like some TV preachers have done by, by, by preaching this positive message and, and uh, God's blessings on everybody all the time and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'll, just, I'll just tell you the truth. I, I'd rather run you off with the truth than rip you off with a lie. I'm just telling you, there is a judgment coming on this world. I know that's a somber message. I know that's not a popular message, but, but it's the message of God's Word. The fact is, the world has, has dissed on God. They've, they've disrespected God and His authority. They've disobeyed God and His Word. 
They've distorted God's purposes and plans, and they're going to discover that there's a payday coming someday. There's just a judgment. There's consequences for rebelling against God. Let's read about it. Matthew chapter 24, 15 through 28. I know that's a rather lengthy introduction, but I, think, I hope that it helps you to understand. Who's it written to? Specifically. Now listen, it's written specifically to the nation of Israel, but it, it, will, it will affect the entire world. And it's profitable for us to know this kind of stuff. And we, we, hopefully we'll get to some of that in a, in a minute and why that it is. It'll affect the whole world. But he's writing specifically in regards to the nation of Israel. And I think you'll see that here in a minute. It's important to know when it's going to transpire. It's important to know why it's going to transpire. Matthew twenty four fifteen through 28. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation. Such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, even if, poss- if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or, Behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. It continues to amaze me and speak into my heart and my life. Things that um, are almost too wonderful to comprehend and to take in. And sometimes they're hard. Some of this would probably be considered some of the hard sayings of Jesus. Lord, as I, I said, you know this is true. People, people love to hear about your grace and your mercy, your forgiveness. And truly, you are a loving and merciful and forgiving God. And I am so grateful that you are. Because your grace reached out to me. Your mercy touched my life. Your forgiveness made it possible for me to be adopted into your family. Even though I was a wretched sinner. Choosing my own path. Going my own way. Rebelling against you. And you saved me. And I am eternally grateful for that. But you are also a God, the God, who is holy, set apart, unlike any other. Your holiness brings with it justice. And justice for sin demands judgment. It's part of who you are and your creation. You are perfectly just 
in what you do. And people who are unrepentant and unwilling to turn to you are perfectly deserving of the judgment that they receive. I do not say that, Father God, with any sort of glee or happiness. As I've pointed out several times, your word says that it brings you no pleasure to condemn the, the, the unjust man, the sinner, for a sin. So my hope, Lord God, is that each of us would study your word, look to these teachings on the end times, and make application for our lives, perhaps an introspection. Where am I in my relationship with you? Do I have that relationship? Do I know that Christ has saved me from my sins and am I walking according to His will? And then what will I do with that? What about my neighbors? What about my family? What about those people in places in the world where the church has not yet gone to share the message of Jesus? How will we reach them? Lord, may that be part of the, the result of this teaching. I'm so grateful for each person that's here. I'm just asking you to to meet them where they are and accomplish your purposes. This isn't about anybody else. It's not about the person sitting next to us. It's not about some person sitting around us. It's not about the person that's not even here. This is about each one of us sitting under this word today or who may listen later in the podcast. May your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 24, 15 through 28. I want to walk through uh, kind of three observations about this text, in light of those three questions that we already answered, three observations about this text. First one is this. The GTP, or the Great Tribulation period, will be sudden. It will come very, very suddenly. In verse 15 through 20, let me read it to you again. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place... Let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. I mentioned a moment ago that the tribulation period... uh, is an event that lasts seven years. Um, Jesus begins, as he moves into verse 15, he begins to talk about an event that transpires in the middle of that, of that event. Now, most people believe that, that Jesus' reference to the abomination of desolation here in Matthew 24, 15, is connected to or is based on Daniel chapter 9. Now, Daniel chapter 9 uh, is, a, is a passage of Scripture that we spent a good deal of time in when we studied the book of Revelation uh, a little over a year ago, a year and a half ago, however long it was. Um, and I made reference to it a couple of weeks ago in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 is where we read about um, Daniel's 70-week prophecy. Some of y'all remember that? Daniel's 70-week prophecy found in Daniel chapter 9. Now, um, don't have time to, to go into all of the intricacies of it, but in Daniel's 70-week prophecy, one week equals, equals seven years. Okay? With me? I, I, really, I really encourage you, go back and listen to that message where we dealt some of that, and, and if, you, if you want to, go all the way back to that study in the book of Revelation where we walk through some of Daniel chapter 9, because Daniel chapter 9 is intricately connected 
much of the book of Daniel is, but Daniel chapter 9 is intricately connected to the events that Jesus discusses here in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 and that are discussed in the book of Revelation. But Daniel chapter 9, 70 weeks prophecy that Daniel gives. One week equals seven years. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 looks like this. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. So how long is that? Thank you. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, so how long would that be? All you math experts. Thank you. Three and a half years. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. Even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 describes, and then Jesus makes reference to this in, in Matthew chapter 24, here in verse 15, that the tribulation period, uh, the he, by the way, that Daniel makes reference to in Daniel chapter 9, the he that he makes reference to is the Antichrist. The Antichrist is a person who is basically Satan's puppet who will come to power. He will be a, a flesh and blood human being who comes to power during the Great Tribulation period. At the beginning of the Great Tribulation period. Also at the beginning of the Great Tribulation period, the Antichrist will make a peace treaty, a pact, with the nation of Israel. In this treaty, he will promise them peace. And hasn't the nation of Israel been looking for peace since it's been founded? He will apparently promise them peace. He will promise them uh, to have their protection granted to them. And he apparently will either do it for them or, or allow them to rebuild the temple. Because the reference there in Daniel 9.27 seems to indicate that the sacrificial system had begun again. The Jews were practicing that again. And they wouldn't do that unless there was a temple. They just wouldn't. So there, there must be, the temple must be restored. So uh, Antichrist comes to power, makes a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. But according to Daniel 9, 27, and Jesus makes reference to it here in Matthew 24, the Antichrist apparently breaks the peace treaty halfway through the Great Tribulation period. He apparently comes to the nation of Israel, comes to the temple, and places an, an image or an idol of himself inside of that temple. And at that point demands that the nation of Israel and the whole world, for that matter, bow down and worship him as God. By the way, that's always been Satan's ultimate design and desire. He's always wanted your worship. Isn't that what he said to Jesus when he met him out in the wilderness? I'll give you everything, I'll give you, everything you can see if you just bow down and worship me. It's always been about worship him. Satan has always been envious. He's always been jealous of the worship that you give to God. Did you know that? Do you ever think about that? Which is why, by the way, I, I, I encourage you, both in your worship during the week, as you live out your life, you may be singing, you just may be living it out for Christ, whatever it is. And, and when you gather in here on Sunday morning and, and the praise team leads us, man, I tell you, just sing, sing it out. Sing it out. Because it not only blesses God, and it does, when our, when our worship is genuine, it comes from our hearts and our lives. Oh, how it blesses God to see his children lifting praises to him. In, in, you ever, 
Maybe it's never happened to you, but sometimes I can be worshiping God, you know, and I'm singing the songs, but I'm thinking about, oh, I can't believe that happened this last week, or I can't believe what I got to do this week, and my mind's racing all these other places. But how it must bless God when we slow down and we stop and we think, no, no, worthy is the Lamb. And we begin to sing these songs and praise Him. Oh, it blesses God immensely. But double benefit, it thoroughly ticks Satan off. I, I really believe that. Sing it out. He's jealous of God's praise and worship. So he, he sets up his, his image. He says, listen, I've, I've set all this up. I put my puppet in place. I'm the one that's, that's bringing uh, all this peace to the world, and I'm going to bring all this stuff. It's time for you to recognize me as God. Here's my image. Here's my idol. Bow down and worship me. And that, the Jewish people have not gotten a lot of things right spiritually. They've missed it when it comes to Jesus, and, God, and God's going to work on them about that. But that breaks it right there. Because they may not know everything that they're supposed to know, but they know that there's one God and the Antichrist is not him who is simply a puppet of Satan. And so they rebel. They, re- they, they reject this demand to worship his idol. They rebel and Satan brings the hammer down. That's what Jesus is referring to, this idol set up, this image set up. That's the, that's the yes, the abomination of desolation, <laughs> thank you, that Jesus describes here in verse 15. That's what breaks it for the Jewish people. And Jesus begins to say, when that event occurs, oh, listen, and notice he specifically says, those living in Judea. Who is that? Come on, who is that? The Jews. Do you live in Judea? No. He's talking to the Jewish people at that time. It's, you better, it's, it's it. It's, it happens so suddenly. Look at what he says in verse 17. He says, uh, whoever's on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. The housetop here would be basically a reference to the porch. Listen, you don't even have time to go in and get your stuff. You better head out. In verse 18, the guy working in the field doesn't even have time to go back to the other end of the field where his coat is, his outer garment that he took off while he was working. He says, Jesus says, no, you don't even have time to go back and get that. You better head out. In verse 19, he gives this warning. To, to pregnant women and to expectant mothers because it's going to naturally be harder for them to travel. It's going to naturally be, they're going to naturally be slower because they're, they're carrying children or, or they're pregnant or all those kind of things. It's going to be much harder for them. He said, wow, you, you better, when, this, when this thing comes, and he says in, in verse 20, but pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. Wintertime, it's, it, it can be harsh. It can be difficult to travel in the mountains in the wintertime. The Sabbath, the Jewish people, by Levitical law, could only travel so far on the Sabbath. Remember, it's not, they're the ones that are still going by this, not God. But Jesus said, well, you better hope you're not, this doesn't happen on the Sabbath, because you, know, you can only go so far on the Sabbath. The implication for all of this is it happens so suddenly that you're not even going to know what's going to happen. That is going to be the, the embarking point of the last half of the Great Tribulation period. And it happens Suddenly, which can show us just how quickly events can transpire in the world in which we live. But it's going to happen suddenly. And the Jewish people are going to have to flee because of it. Second observation is this. The GTP, the Great Tribulation Period, will be awful. Folks, I, just, I, don't, I, couldn't, I don't know of another word to say. It's just going to be awful. I made this statement a couple different times 
um, when I was going through the book of Revelation. Some of you may remember this, but I, I, I said this. I said, believe me when I say to you, you don't want to be here when this stuff comes down. You, you don't want to be here. But in verse 21, he says, For then there will be such a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. As I said, tribulation period, great tribulation period lasts for seven years. The abomination of desolation occurs halfway through that period of time. Before this moment, you have the first half of the great tribulation period. And we know from the book of Revelation and from what Jesus said earlier that there's going to be Lots of disasters during that time. Man-made and natural disasters. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be famines. There's going to be wars. It's, it's not going to be a, a pleasant time. Please uh, don't get that impression. It's not going to be a pleasant time. There will be some sense of peace apparently at the, initially at the very beginning. But it's not going to be a pleasant time. But compared to the second half of the Great Tribulation, the first half will be a walk in the park. It will be awful during that time. First half, yeah, lots of... But the second half is the wrath of God is poured out on sinful men who have sided with the Antichrist and rebelled against him. It is going to be awful. Notice that no, someone, none other than Jesus himself, says there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever will. I point that out because there are some people that say, well... Um, the book of Revelation, which Matthew 24 kind of mirrors, the book of Revelation is simply a reference to events that occurred in the first century when the church came under persecution uh, under the emperor Nero, and then it was a hard time and it was bad, and that's really what John was describing in Revelation. Well, no, not according to Jesus, because we know historically we, the world has experienced far greater uh, things that have happened in the world since that time. And Jesus said, when this happens... It will be unlike anything that has ever happened before, nor like anything that ever will be. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 22, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. Nobody would have been left alive. This is going to be so bad. But for the sake of the elect, I believe a reference to the nation of Israel, those days will be cut short. Awful. Like I said, you don't want to be here during that time. By the way, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, as I understand Scripture, you won't be. But many people will be. And it's going to be an awful time. And the last idea is this, which Jesus' words kind of leads into. The GTP will be temporal. We need to remember that always, folks. That's why this series is entitled The Days After Tomorrow. Because we're always pointing back to the hope that God brings to our lives and to the world. We're always pointing back to... The fact that God is firmly in control and that he has his plans. Verse 23 says that if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, behold, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe them. Jesus says, seems to make reference, he seems to go back to the warning that he gave earlier in Matthew 24 that gives application for us. See, that's what Jesus always does. He's always going back to the application for the now. Do you all notice that? Whether he's talking about something that happened hundreds of years ago in the Old Testament 
or whether he's talking about some future event as he is here in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus' teaching is always coming back to what I refer to as the so what principle. So what? What does any of this have to do with my life? What does any of this mean for me? Because knowing everything about the future makes no difference at all if it doesn't affect my now. Would you agree with that? And the implication seems to be here that you and I have to always be guarded because there will always be someone coming along claiming they've got the latest thing, the newest thing, the best thing. They've got the answer. They've got the solution, the newest religion, the newest ideology, the newest philosophy, the newest charismatic leader. There'll always be somebody coming along claiming they've got it. But one of the things that the Great Tribulation period shows us and will show everybody is that nobody has the answer except Jesus. And it won't matter what goes on, no matter what Satan tries to do, it will only get worse. No matter what the Antichrist promises, it will only get worse. No matter what people do, it will only get worse until Jesus Christ returns to establish his kingdom here on earth. But we'll get to that next week. But Jesus says, for just as lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man." Probably a reference to the speed at which it will occur, but I think more a reference to the, the prominence of his return. Uh, think about it, lightning. You don't even have to be looking up in the sky to see lightning, do you? Have you ever ran it and all of a sudden, whoa, what was that? I mean, lightning, just, it's just, you just know it. And when Jesus comes back, folks, everybody will know it. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says this, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. And then in verse 28, a very interesting statement he closes out with, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Okay. Thanks for that one, Jesus. Well, think about it. If you've ever uh, been anywhere where a bunch of... uh, in our context, a bunch of buzzards or vultures. You look up in the sky and you see a bunch of vultures, a bunch of buzzards, but circling around in a circle. What does that mean? Something's dead, right? Something's dead. You don't even got to go see that dead body. Don't really want to. It doesn't, I mean, however far it is that you can see them. Cir- you see the vultures circling, you know what it means. There's something dead over there. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, when you see these things, when these things transpire, when the abomination of desolation occurs, when when the peace treaty is broken, when the people of Israel run for the hills and flee for their lives, when all these things begin to take place, you just know, you just know, you just know, I'm about to step back into this thing. I'm about to come back and establish my kingdom here on earth. The abomination of desolation will begin that part. By the way, it is so awful. The, the, The second part is so awful that some biblical scholars actually designate different names for the two parts of that time period, referring to the first half, the first three and a half years, as the tribulation period, and the second half as the great tribulation period. I tend to call the whole thing the great tribulation period, but it's going to be awful. But what we find, and what we'll see next week, is that God's always ahead of all of it. He's ahead of Satan. He's ahead of man's rebellion. He's ahead of our sinfulness, he's ahead of all of it. And he has his plans, and those plans include the establishment of his kingdom. And we're going to see next week some of that and how glorious that will be. But I said a little while ago, and I close with this, and I, as, as honestly as I can be with every person in this room, I say to you, 
believe me, you don't want to be here when this comes down. And you don't have to be. A relationship with Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, acknowledging your own sinfulness, believing by faith that He died on the cross. It's an event that happened 2,000 years ago, but by faith, I believe that He died for my sins. My accepting that idea and acknowledging my sinfulness and asking Him to forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior, that, by the will and power of God, brings me into the kingdom of God. And coming into the kingdom of God takes me away from all of that stuff that is to come. Do you know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior? And if you don't, would you like to? Thanks, Pastor, for that timely reminder from God's Word that while the end times will come suddenly, and it will be awful, it's also going to be temporal. Ultimately, God is on His throne. And Jesus is going to prepare the nation of Israel for His return. And He's going to pour out His wrath on the rebellious, sinful world. It's not a message that people really want to hear, but it's a message that the world needs to hear because the end is coming sooner than most people think. As Pastor Clay asks today, are you ready? We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.